This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We do so much work at my organization at Cultures of Dignity about how to have difficult conversations, how to be across from somebody who vehemently sees the world differently than you. And so there are things that we can say to each other that we can say, like, help me understand, like, help me understand why this is so important to you. And also treating everyone with dignity, regardless of your political persuasion. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. We're momming today with Rosalind Weissman, a parenting expert and author of many books, but the newest is The Distance Learning Playbook for Parents. Rosalind, welcome. Thanks for potting with us again. Thanks, Lauren. We've just went through this um, this process where, you know, the kids probably started school a few days a week, half days, and now many of them are virtual only. So it's this back and forth of, of socialization and academics. Uh, is that what pushed you to write this book so quickly? Oh, yes. Because what I was seeing was young people feeling isolated, feeling confused. Parents didn't know, like, what what should they do? Should they be the parent? Should they be the teacher? How could they be both? How do they manage that with work? Um, and so it was really obvious to me that I had to do the best that I could to be able to get out some resources for parents that would make sense in this time. I have to add one um, one hat to that. So should parents be the teacher, the parent, the employee, but also the psycho- psychologist in many cases, because this is having such a toll on our kids. Yeah. So we can't be all of these things to our children. We, we can be a source of comfort. We can be a place where they learn, obviously, where they learn values about how to be in the world, how to go through the world. But no, you you can't. You don't have to be your child's teacher. And in fact, actually, what we know is that when um, parents are doing, like, they're hovering over their child, you know, over the laptop and doing their homework for them or helping them, that the anxiety of the parents may go down, but the anxiety of the child often goes up. And so, it's really important that we need to be behind. We need to be behind the scenes as much as we can. We need to be focused on their emotional well-being. We need to be able to be clear about what the communication is that the teachers, as best as the teachers have done, to communicate with your family and your child about what the expectations are. Um, and then we have to create a routine for our children. Um, and that, and we also have to create a routine for ourselves. And when we do that, we can actually create we have the best chance of creating a healthy home while we are going through this really, really difficult, messy process. Yeah, I, I, it's it's just the inconsistency that I, 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 I feel like kids don't just don't know what the expectations are for them, and I, and I feel like those expectations are constantly changing, and then they're seeing their parents stressed out, and even their teachers that where are the adults in the room? Yeah, exactly. 
And so, you know, there are teachers who are so good at creating a, a classroom virtually. Um, I've seen it. It's incredible. Um, and teachers had to do an incredible, I did also in my teaching, had to do an incredible learning curve over the summer to really figure out, I mean, we've been teaching in person for, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, you know, years, right? We have years of practice with this. And then we had to become really good or, you know, even, you know, sort of averagely okay at being on teaching online in a summer or in two weeks. And so it was incredibly, incredibly stressful. And so actually what um, we've seen is that schools that have just gone are all virtual and have had that consistency, um, the kids in my that are reporting to me feel that there's more consistency with that than with this going back and forth and back and forth and having no idea what's happening. Um, and that you don't know when you go to school if you're going to be sent home for two weeks for quarantining or anything like that. If we have some consistency, even if it's online, like as virtual, you know, 100% virtually online, what young people are saying to me is that that is preferable than going back and forth to school. So that is so interesting because right now we're at this inflection point in society where we're seeing some cities and, and school districts have to close again because of rise in the number of infections. And, and, you know, parents, because they're workers also are saying, oh my God, the kids just need to get out of the house. They, school can't close. But but you're saying, based on what you're hearing from students and what you're seeing from academic results, is that all virtual, not because it's better, but because it's consistent, is better? That's what young people are saying to me. Um, the other part is, I mean, think about this, is that, and this makes perfect sense, it's, you know, I, I know school districts and I understand why. They, we want to see our kids. Like we want to see our students. I miss going to school. Like I'm an educator, you know, in my heart. And we miss going to school and we know that we need to have our eyes on children. There's a really important thing here about if we have our eyes, if we have eyes on kids, then we can, we have a better sense of how they're doing. And yesterday, for example, I was talking to a group of young people um, who are talking to school counselors and it was, you know, we don't, they don't have any relationship anymore with school counselors because they can't just drop by or the systems in place that enabled school counselors to be able to reach out to kids is really challenged right now. And so what we are, and the other part is, is that, you know, parents have to have the right and the flexibility to say, no, my child's not going to school today, or we don't feel comfortable sending our child to school today. That means that um, teachers have the extraordinary challenge of having to teach to the kids in front of them and also simultaneously teach to the children that are online. So they're doing both at the same time. And that is really hard. And so what I've, what I, so we're just getting research now. All, all I can tell you from my experience with young people is that consistency is incredibly important. Um, and that if they can find, if they have a teacher who can create the space for online learning where they feel that they are contributing, there's a point to what they're doing, then young people are incredibly grateful. What I am truly worried about, like right now, you are right, there, this is an inflection point, is that there is a sense from young people that they just do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so why try right now? And that, that is, I'm, I am deeply worried about what is happening. And for parents, we have got to be able, and this is what I'm doing as a parent and so what I'm doing with the students that I work with, is to say, what are the things right now, like let's get, let's figure out how to get through your school day. And also let's identify one thing that you are interested and curious about that might have nothing to do with school that you want to figure out and learn right now. Because what I'm very focused on is trying to do whatever we can to create a love of learning for young people. 
and, and to continue that in some way. And I think that's one of the major goals. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. And, and you know, you have, um, you have a front row seat because you're a mom of two teenage boys. And in an earlier conversation, you and I were talking about working parents. I, I mean, we're, we're asking our bosses to be sympathetic to our needs and, and our bosses are being sympathetic as best they can, realizing that what's going on in society right now is not normal, but might be the new normal. So we have to redefine our cultures, our values, and and, and our flexibility with our employees because employees are often parents. But the, the way we are handling this situation as adults is impacting the middle schoolers and the high schoolers who will be adults and employees. And their mental health is not good right now. No, it is not. And it wasn't before the pandemic. I mean, so... There was a lot of things that were running off the rails before the pandemic that we were, we were sort of paying attention to, but not to the extent that we needed to, and not to the extent that we could figure out what were the possible consequences of it. And so we, uh, before the pandemic, we were having an unprecedented level of depression and anxiety and suicide amongst young people. And the range of young people who were affected are affected by this had got, has gotten younger and younger. Let me say, I mean, this is horrible to say this, but when I first started teaching like 20 years ago, I never, I never, ever did I sit across the table from a parent who had lost a 12-year-old child to suicide. That was not an experience that I'd had as in my work in education. And now I have, that is an experience. That is an experience that is happening in this country of that age range of people trying to take their lives or successfully doing that. And so what we have is young people who are really needing some some consistency and some adults to be the role models that they deserve. And let me, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and sort of do a a little thing that might be uncomfortable for people, but I think it's really important for right now because for the last, you know, couple of years and, you know, before that, but it's gotten more and more intense is that as things have gotten more divisive, the people that we've needed, that children have needed most to talk about these issues and not only to talk about issues, but how to talk to each other in a civil way Though many parents and many teachers have said, I can't do that. I'm not, teachers have said, I, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to. Um, and schools have, and schools have unfortunately have been like, yeah, no, we can't, we can't do that. We can't talk about those things. Can you give me Here's an example? I want to challenge Can you give me an about. example, Rosalind? Sure. Like, what things? Sure about, the, sure. about the election. Sure. About the election or about um, the Black Lives Matter protests or about, you know, any of the really, any of the really big, the protests that happened over the summer. Um, there, but there's but it gets a thing a, of it, well, not, well, let, let me just come ahead, in please. real quick. It it gets them in trouble when they do. I, I think that's so why. Teachers, I think yeah. teachers would want well, to, but then a parent complains about something that they say or introduce in the classroom, and then you know you're suspended, and, and your principal is dealing with you know news reporters. Absolutely. So here, so here's the here's the qualifier that I'm making. Okay. Is that what happens is is that we get to a place where it's not that we can't. It's I'm not saying that the teacher needs to talk about their political opinion. What I'm talking about is that we have to create space for civil discourse about how to have difficult conversations. And so that is what we are missing because we don't have civics education really in this country anymore. That we don't have a how. And so what's happening is the loudest voices, the most aggressive voices and social media and how that plays out has dominated the conversation. And then rightfully so, just for the reasons that you said, teachers and superintendents and principals rightfully so are like, oh, we can't touch this. 
And so what happens is, is that our young people only get that information from the loudest voices or from social media. They don't get it from the people that they need to hear it from the most. Not of like, this is my opinion. That's not, it is about how we conduct ourselves, how we have difficult conversations. And that is what we are missing. And when we can't have difficult conversations about things that are worrying us or making us anxious, that it obviously increases our anxiety because it feels like it's so out of control. And so that's the thing that I'm saying about children and anxiety and, and, and depression and feeling like, well, where can I go and who can help me with this in all different kinds of ways? It's this feeling of the world sort of spinning out and no one's bringing it back together again. And if young people can feel that things are coming back together again, then they have a sense of, okay, this is hard and this is difficult, but I can get through it. Okay. I gotcha. I'm, I'm with you here. So the fact that we're not talking about the uncomfortable or perhaps divisive conversations is creating more anxiety in kids. Because right, because we're not structuring the conversation. We're not saying this is how you do it. So right. So like when we are talking, when I'm with some, you know, we do so much work at my organization at Cultures of Dignity about how to have difficult conversations, how to be across from somebody who vehemently sees the world differently than you. And so there are things that we can say to each other that we can say, like, help me understand, like, help me understand why this is so important to you. There are, and also treating everyone with dignity, regardless of your political persuasion, that everyone has worth. And that as, and as when we think about it that way, that we can show up in conversations very differently. Um, And again, like when we don't have those, when we don't structure it that way, than the loudest, most aggressive, um, most incendiary comments and opinions are the ones that dominate. And then we think that everybody has those opinions and then we get even more scared to talk about it. And that really impacts, you know, we talk about the village, right? We have to rate, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. The village is not feeling very, it feels very unstable right now. Oh, it and is. We've got I, to be able to, right. And we have to strengthen it and that's how I, we're going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of my own daily life, you know, two working parents ripping their hair out because because the kids are jumping off the wall. Kids not knowing mm-hmm. if they're going to actually go to school that day or do the virtual learning. Some activities may maybe being canceled because of, you know, infections. Um, social mm-hmm. unrest, especially in our big cities, an election that people um, have <laughs> different uh, opinions about, you know, it's still, I, I guess you can say in many ways, it's still undecided election. So you're, you're putting all this together and our kids feel nauseous. Exactly. And so we have to be people at, um, in, in our capacity uh, as parents is to be able to say, and you know, if you're working, if you know, you're working and it's really hard the way you just described you can say to your children, this is a really hard time. Like, this is a really hard time for me to be able to focus. I've got to be able to get my work done. And then from there, you create a routine. So, you know, it took me a really long time. I don't know why it took me this long, but it took me a really long time to like put up a little notice for my family of like, hey, I'm like working right now or I'm in, I'm doing something that I can't be disturbed. We all have to have those kinds of things where we are seeing each other, seeing our space at home in a very different way. But we can acknowledge that it's messy. We can acknowledge that this is hard. And then we create a routine. And let me say, like, for me, the routine is based on, you know, humans are have a definition of happiness, actually, of what makes them happy, no matter what, no matter who they vote for, no matter where they come from. And it's a sense of purpose. It's contributing to something bigger than yourself. It's um, having a sense of curiosity, meaningful social connection, and a place to process and find peace. 
And if you can use those five things to create the routine for your family, then those are, so for example, place a process and find pieces, wake up in the morning and have a cup of tea before this, you know, before people get, you know, start into your space or at the end of the day, nobody should be looking at screens for an hour before they go to bed. The larger principle of that happiness drives the routine. It gives you the sense of, okay, what do I need to be able to get those five things or just even, uh, you know, try, because if I can get just one of those, maybe for a moment a day, it makes, it gives me a sense that this is, that I'm on a, that life is going to be okay, that I'm going to be able to get through the hard times and that my feelings, my anxious feelings are real, but they're not necessarily permanent. And I've been saying that to myself over and over again, myself personally, of this feeling I'm having right now is real, but it's not permanent. It can change. Oh my goodness. I want to know um, the next step after you do the routine, the next step that parents can take, but uh, we'll do that right after this. More Momming Today returns. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. We are back on We're Momming Today with Rosalind Weisman, a parenting expert and prolific author, about kind of how to deal with the back and forth and the uncertainty that is constant in all of our lives, children, adults, CEOs, you name it. Um, after you've kind of established your routine, you know, mom's routine, dad's routine, kids' routines, what's the next thing that you can do to help us get through, I'm going to say another year before there's a vaccine that everybody can take. No, I think, what what do you think? You don't think another year? I I don't even want to, I don't even want to, I don't even, I can't even see now you're giving me this moment where I have to practice what I preach and I have to, my emotions are real and they will change. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. Maybe that's worst, worst case scenario, but let's do another, let's do another six months. I think another six months is, is pretty fair. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. I I can have that conversation. Okay. Okay. There you go. Uh huh. Um, and so what? So what do we do after we you know we create a routine? Is we also have to know that that routine is going to get messed up sometimes, and um, and that is okay. And that it is a it's a, a standard that you are going to, towards, and you don't have to do it perfectly every day. That the um, that really, if you can just you know one thing, I, I really do have to say though that the thing of not having screens an hour before bedtime is so incredibly important. Um, and so that would be the thing that if I could choose one thing, that would be it. Um, I think for the next six months also, but for the rest of our lives, I think we need to really separate um, social media into three buckets. The first is um, is connecting. So for the next six months, I mean, it's always important to connect, but like FaceTime, your kids FaceTiming with grandparents, like once or your, you know, your sister, your brother, their aunt or uncle, their camp friends, whatever, is so important. Um, and so that's connecting and that's really good. Um, and then the next bucket is creating. So, you know, kids like when we do or parents were doing, you know, and older parents with their adult kids were doing the, the you know, d- dances on TikTok. That was funny. And it was in the middle of like when we were all really locked down. That was funny. And it was also bonding. And it was also creating something. And kids are also creating lots of really cool things online. Um, and then the last one is about consumption. And that's not great. The last bucket is about consuming. And so we scroll through Instagram or, you know, just keep watching YouTube videos like over and over and over again. And then it's like we wake up and it's like four hours later. Um, 
I think we've got to be really careful about how we use social media. We always need it to be. We always do. Um, and if we can separate into those three buckets, um, especially as we think about, okay, is my kid going to be his eyeballs going to fall out of their head because they're you know online now and they're going to be online for the next six months. Um, and so again, with that routine, I think that if we, if they're going to be online in some way for the school day for like, you know, four or five hours or maybe more that the creating and the connection is like two out, maybe is 90 minutes or two hours a day on top of that. Um, and then the consumption is really what we need to be taking as much as possible, being aware of to do less and less and less. And then, then with the routine, if we have that and we know like connecting is important, creation is important, then from there is, okay, what can we do that is not eyeballs on screen, that is part of our routine that gives us a larger sense of ourselves, you know, increases our curiosity, has meaningful, um, has a place to process and find peace, right? So we go back to those five things of what makes us happy. And so that for me is going to be, and that's what I'm telling, that's what I'm really talking to young people about is how they get through this indeterminate time is to just keep going back to that structure so that they, and strategy so that they can get through, you know, every day, but that builds the routine builds so that that gives you more and more mental health, more mental and physical health. Yeah. I think in the end, it all does, it comes down to everybody's mental health, you know, um, and, you know, as parents, we tend to prioritize our children and how they're doing, making sure they're okay and that they're provided for so much more than ourselves. But kind of at the end of the day, if if you're not okay, it's hard to foster oh, a they're not environment. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know people were saying, I mean, I've heard people say the thing about, you know, like, the, of course, self-care is extraordinarily important. And our kids are so reactive and so sensitive, more to the point, to how we're doing. Um, I mean, they can read us better than anybody, right? Like I raise my eyebrow and my kids know, like, you know, what I'm feeling. But I think that I heard the analogy in the beginning of like, of, you know, put the air, you know, put the mask on first, like you're in an airplane. But actually what I think is a better metaphor is as, um, you know, as the flight attendants, when they are calm, that you feel calm. But if a flight attendant, when you're on a plane is not calm, you start getting really, really worried. And I think that's a better visual for why it's important for parents to take care of themselves because we want to be that flight attendant who, you know, can say like, here's what we're doing, here's what's happening, here's the situation, and here's how we're going to get through it. Yeah, because our home is our, our plane and there's a lot of turbulence right now. We, we don't there's want it to go down. Why? Exactly. I made my kids take me for a walk the other day. I just had to get out of the house. I was I was just in the house all day between I was probably in the house for like three days straight when I really come to think about it, but it was just a tough day and they had um come home from school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Mommy needs a walk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Mom, we're tired. I'm like, yep. let's just, we live by a farm. I'm like, can we nope, please just right. walk to the farm? <laughs> But that's you taking, you know, what's great about that is you laughing because our kids need to see us laugh about this. We need to say, you know, we're going to lose it, right? Like we can do all the things and I can follow every piece of advice that I say or, you know, every parenting advice to think that I would read and we're going to lose it. We're going to totally lose it. And the most important part then is to go back and say to our kids like, oh yeah, totally lost it right there. I'm really sorry. And um, I'm just working on making it better and doing better. And that is actually incredibly important role modeling for our kids to see too. Because you can, it's not only about self-regulation and saying like, okay, I can manage myself. It's also about how you get back into the relationship. And, and that is really important, not just for right now, but for the rest of their lives. 
And last question, you said that the distance learning playbook for parents is the most important book you've ever written. Why is that? Well, because people are losing it. (laughs) Because, I mean, because, I mean, because, like, I mean, I'm sitting here last, you know, last spring, what was it, last May, June, and I had an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. And the 18-year-old had come home from boarding school, and um, I just—I mean, my goodness gracious! I was—I was. Maybe it was a self-help for me too that I could write it, so I could get to a place to give myself my own advice because I was—I'm right in the thick of it with everybody too. So um, I do think so because what I did was I—I I really put what I thought was the most important things for um, for well-being, for mental well-being, and for how to handle conflict. It is so important to me to be able to have these hard conversations I was um, talking about before. I mean, I work in all different kinds of communities in this country, and I am 100% confident that people can have hard conversations because I talk to people who disagree with me all the time and, and you know, who might vote differently than I do politically. And we are able to have amazing conversations where I learn so much from them and I have such deep respect for them. And I just, I just know that from my own personal experience. And so I wanted to be able to give parents everything that I thought that they needed to know to be able to manage their relationships with themselves, with their children and with others. Yeah. Rosalind, thank you. Thank you for the advice and all the work that you're you're doing. You're welcome. Take, keep taking those walks to the farm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we will. Trust me. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.